Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. So Psalm 119:81-88. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pits to trap me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for I am being persecuted without cause. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your unfailing love, preserve my life, that I may obey the statutes of your mouth. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, good morning, my dear brothers and sisters. It's great to spend some time with you in the word of our Lord. Uh, looking at Psalm 119. Uh, it's, it's all about how good the law of the Lord is, isn't it? It's all about, you know, the law is good. But I don't know about you, we, we live in an age where people don't like rules. Rules are kind of holding me back, stopping me from being who I am, getting in my way. You know, like the fact that I'm not allowed to drive on the right-hand side of the road kind of really gets me down some days. I want to reenact those Hollywood chase scenes. Uh, rules, rules not good, but, you know, we, we all have our own kind of uh, rules we, 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 uh, that get us through life. I, I, like, watching, uh, I like watching The Office. Uh, my favorite character, the one I relate to the most, is obviously Dwight Schrute. <laughs> who once said there are 40 rules all shrewd boys must learn before the age of five. You know, learn your rules. You better learn your rules. If you don't, you'll be eaten in your sleep. Which includes rule number 17. Uh, don't turn your back on bears, men you have wronged, or the dominant turkey in mating season. I can tell you, honestly, that also applies to quails. Quails, they, they, can, be, they can be quite vicious. Uh, Jordan Peterson brought out a best-selling book called 12 Rules to Live By. Uh, I remember thinking like only 12. I could probably come up with about a 1,000 that I kind of need to get me through. And actually, some of these are actually quite good. Just, just bear with me. Um, my favorite rule is this. Uh, I call this Mikey's Maxim. Do what you have to do before you do what you want to do. Now, I know, I know Graham's a fan of that one. Graham's a fan of that one. It's a shocker. <laughs> It's unbelievable. unbelievable. I, well, bereft of joy. <laughs> no, it, 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 means, it means get your essay done before you go and see the Barbie movie. That's what it means. <laughs> do what you have to do before you do what you want to do. Uh, here's another one. When you travel, put your passport in a wallet and dangle it around your neck. Now, Scott Haraway is now a fan of that one, I can tell you. Absolutely. See, the law of Mike has brought hope and redemption. Yeah. Other rules, sort of advice, to stop toddlers getting out of their room at night, put a sock on the door handle and they can't get a grip on it. They, it works. Uh, now here, I've got some rules in my house which are not very popular, but I enforce them with ruthless tyranny. No YouTube after dinner. No YouTube after dinner. And this is the number one that's, been, that's nearly led to uh, insurrection in my house. 
no phone in your room at night. So you're not allowed to have your any not had any devices in your room at night. Not very popular, uh, but I, I I stand by it. Uh, but Psalm 19 is about is about how good the law is. I mean, it stresses that God's law and precepts uh, are hope for people in a hopeless situation. Now, it might seem weird, like, you know, I'm feeling really depressed and in despair, and what I take comfort in is a bunch of rules I get from God. I mean, that's not the normal way you would normally think about having hope in a difficult situation. But the psalmist says that delighting in God's law can be part of the solution to some of the crises that you can face across your life. Now, we have to appreciate at this point of, of the psalm the sort of dire uh, moment the psalmist appears to be in. I mean, look in verse 31, um, sorry, 81. It says, you know, my soul faints. I'm, I'm lack of energy. I feel sad with lethargy. Verse 82, they're looking for, for, for some promise, some comfort. In verse 83, you've got a peculiar expression. You know, I'm like a wineskin in the smoke. I mean, that's not normally how I describe my, my worst moments, but it, it could be something like a dried-out wineskin that's no longer able to hold wine, or it's been heated but it, it hasn't fermented, or, or a better analogy for the same thing is I feel like a little bit of butter spread across too much bread, if you like your Lord of the Ring analogies. It's a mixture of despair and exhaustion. It's sick and tired of feeling sad and tired. In verse 84, the psalmist asks how long he has to put up with this and when will his enemies be punished. In verse 85, the lawless people lay traps for him. In verse 86, ceaseless persecution. In verse 87, they have almost made an end of me. I mean, my enemies, my opponents have got the better of me. And in verse 88, he has to plead with God to spare his life. I mean, this is more than a, a bad day at the office. This is where you feel hounded, haunted, hunted, and absolutely hopeless. You feel overwhelmed with, with enemies, with opposition, with criticism. And believe me, if you go into ministry, you will get a lot of criticism. Some of it will be unfair, okay? And you're in hardship and you feel like you can take it no more, where you feel like you're at the end of your tether, or to give the, uh, the millennial version would be, Lord, I can't even. I can take it no more. And so the psalmist does what the psalmist normally would do, pleads with God for the opposite of all those things. They want salvation. I want deliverance. I want to be rescued. I want God to make good on his promises. I want comfort, sustenance, justice, mercy, for my life, it's, it's, it's a bit like, um, I'm a Christian, Lord, please get me out of here. Get me out of this pit of despair that I seem to be in. And I can't climb out on my own. Now, these are, these are feelings you can and will have. You can have this when you're, with your, when, you're liver, when you're with a loved one going through chemotherapy, when you're worried about losing your job, losing your house, when you face legal action. Or you could make a legal complaint against someone. Times of family or professional conflict, you'll have those low points in your life where you will cry out to God like this. If you haven't done that already, at some time you will. And that's why I think one of the, the best prayers in the Bible, if you, if you skip down to verse 94, uh, I, I, I love this line, 
save me for I am yours. That I think is one of the most wonderful prayers in the entire Bible, where you reach that moment where you go, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't do this. I can't cope with this. I can't fix this. I can't bear this. I can't take this, Lord Jesus. I am yours. Save me. And this is where the delight in the law of God comes into things. Because you can see what the psalmist does. Look at verse 81. Despite all this, the psalmist finds hope in your word. Verse 82, watches for the promise. Remember your statutes in verse 83. In verse 88, I will keep your decrees. Now, we've got to be careful with this because on the one hand, uh, there is in the Bible what you might call a two ways to live theology, you know, do these things and live. Now, you find that in, in, in Deuteronomy, you find it in Proverbs to agree even on the Sermon on the Mount, even in, you know, in Romans 8, you know, live your life in the realm of the spirit, not the realm of the flesh. But there is more going on than, you know, if I obey God's law, then God is legally obligated to rescue me from every bad thing that happens to me. Uh, even if I am a victim of my own uh, actions, that's that's not quite the promise. But it, it it means this, you know, God's law, the Torah has a lot of teaching. You know, there are six hundred and thirteen commands to live by for the for the Israelites. But that's not all the law is. It's not just six hundred and thirteen rules. I mean, if you're studying the Book of Genesis with Andy Judd, uh, you will know that. There's more than just rules and law going on. It's also stories of great faith, the struggle of the patriarchs, the Israelites, instances of divine mercy, covenants and covenant love, faith and failure, sin and restoration, judgment and hope. That's what we also find in the law of the Lord. To claim that that one loves, cherishes, keeps God's law is more than saying I've been a good little Christian boy or Christian girl. It means I entrust myself to the faithfulness of God. I plead not so much my covenantal behavior, but I appeal to your covenantal faithfulness, Lord. I look to the story of God, God's people, and God's promises because I know I'm part of your people and you make good on your promises. I recognize salvation is both gift and and demand, and I honor its demand, so I look to you for the gift. God's law is instruction and expectation, command and promise, law and love, decrees and deliverance, statutes and story. And that is what the psalmist delights in when he has these moments of feeling low, abandoned, and feeling hopeless. That's why I think the book of Psalms has always been a great delight for people. These are songs of Christian experience across your whole life. The triumphant of Psalm 2, the Lord anoints his king, the resolution of moral discipline in Psalm 1, remembering that what God has done for you in the past in Psalm 77. Uh, there's, a, there's a biblical scholar called Richard Hayes who's uh, miraculously been able to get through pancreatic cancer. And... Uh, he says that one of the things that really sustained him was reading the Psalms along with his, with his wife at night, dealing with that real difficult time. 
that's helped him. And, and we need this help in particular because we are going to experience moments of divine hiddenness where we're going to be moments like, God, are you really there and do you really care? There are going to be moments like that in your life where you, like the, the disciples in the boat, where you'll pray, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? And at that time, we can lean on what God's promises in the law, given in the gospel, stated by Jesus himself, who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But that doesn't mean our experience of divine absence isn't real. It means there's a greater mystery, what I would call the divine comedy, where we find out God was there the whole time, even though we didn't see him. Uh, one of my favorite cartoons as a child was called Robo Story. It was a French cartoon about a, a little girl and her dog who got stranded on the green planet that was filled with robots. And there were the good robots who were a little bit weird, dysfunctional. Um, there was like one called uh, Robot Hobo, who was kind of like a, a hobo robot. There was all based on very stereotypical <laughs> characters. And then there was, then there was the, the, the Wrigglers, who were the bad robots. And the Wrigglers were controlled by an AI system called the Revered Reverence. And the Revered Reverence was trying to kill this girl Blueberry and her dog. And every time the Wrigglers were getting close, this robot would appear called the Robot Magician, and he would just suddenly save Blueberry and all her friends. But no one who the Robot Magician was. He just Sometimes he was there, sometimes he, he wasn't. You, you couldn't really be, be relied upon. You never knew if he was going to make a cameo appearance or not, but the Robot Magician would be there. And at the very end of the, the cartoon series, uh, Blueberry and her dog are about to launch off. She wants to take all the good robots with her, but unfortunately they get the, um, the sequence for leaving wrong, and the only robot who makes it on the board with her is Ro Robot Hobo, that's the, and that's who she's leaving the planet with. And she's saying, I really wanted to leave with the robot magician. And it's then she fi finds out that Robot Hobo and Robot Magician are the same person. And, and for me, when I was like nine, I was like, oh, no way. <laughs> Did not. I mean, because Robot Hobo was like the most annoying, dysfunctional robot ever. But, he, but when I thought about it, actually, yeah, I never saw Robot Hobo and Robot Magician at the same time. It made sense. But we find a similar story. Do you know where we find it? On the road to Emmaus. The two disciples are walking away from Jerusalem, thinking Jesus has died, it's all over, everything we thought. We thought he was gonna, we thought he was the one to redeem Israel. But now he's revealed as another messianic pretender. And they stumble across a guy and says, what, what, What's up, chums? You guys seem pretty unhappy. Oh, well, you know, Jesus got crucified. And, oh, well, who? You know, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, this Passover? Yeah, so this Passover, who's completely, seems playfully oblivious to what's happening. And he says, well, I mean, I mean, you could read the Bible a different way. What if, just hear me out, what if the, the Messiah was meant to die and rise and enter his glory? He said, let me, let, let me, take, it, let me take you through a bit, a bit of Genesis, a bit of Isaiah 53, Psalm 110. And I think this sounds rather fascinating. We never thought of it that way. And then they get to that little village and, and they're about to, you know, break, break bread, and the guy breaks bread, and, and uh, the anonymous <laughs> disciple says, you know, Cleopas, our new friend here, there's something very, very familiar about the way that guy breaks bread. It reminds me, um, 
It reminds you of like, oh my gosh, it's him. Again, it's it's divine hit God, the divine comedy. God surprises us. You know, in the moments where we think he's not there, it turns out he was. Uh, the other place where we, where we have this same thing going on, this will be, I know this is all corny, but the famous Footprints poem. You know that thing, uh, walking along in the hardest times of my life, I only saw my uh, one set of footprints. That's where you were away. Says, no, then the Lord said, what does the Lord say? No, I was carrying you. You were not actually alone. Now, that is what I think the psalmist tells us. The, the lighting in the law reminds us of the promises of God and the promises of the gods, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. Come to me, all you who are weary and brokenhearted. Take my yoke upon you. That's the promises that the, that the psalmist delights in. Now, as we come to a close, you may have noticed at Ridley, we have a lot of rules and regulations. Enrollments, plagiarism, occupational health and safety, graduation. And like the law of the Lord, all these regulations are for your edification and benefit. If you don't believe me, ask the registry. But as good as the Ridley, uh, the Ridley laws are, none of them are a light unto your feet. None of them are really hope for hurting people. None of them are expressible, uh, an expression of the inexpressible love of God. But God's law as gift and demand, redemption and regulation, those things are a light, a lamp, and a, prophet, uh, and a promise, a way of deliverance for us. You know, God's law is not the divine plan to ruin your fun or a burden to weigh you down, okay? It's, it's, not, it's also just not self-help device so you can be a better you. It's more than that. I, and I have to tell you, I, I grew up in a, in a non-Christian background where I was, I was aware, I grew up very aware of the, the dysfunction of personal lawlessness, only doing what you desire, being a law unto yourself, acting without consideration with others. Okay, sin and selfishness are a bad combination, dysfunctional, destructive, and hurtful. So a lot of people look at Christianity often as like look down on it, so just a bunch of rules trying to control your life. I tell you, if you've lived in a world that is cold, brutal, and dark, having a moral compass, a moral discipline, something you actually believe in, that is a light in that darkness. Now, we maybe we have an overregulated rule, and we can have all sorts of things about separation of church and state, and you don't want people imposing your religion on you, and fair enough. But we all have to have something we live by. We all have to have some kind of moral vision or moral compass. Otherwise, it's the brutality of anarchy where the strong prey on the weak. That is why the law of the law is good. It's a beacon of hope in the darkest of times. God, through his law, his precepts, his promises, shows his love for us, provides a way to walk in righteousness even when circumstances feel difficult. God's law are God's commands from the God who covenants with us so that we will be his people and he will be our God and we will dwell with him forever. That, I tell you, my dear friends, is why the psalmist leans into, longs for, and loves God's law. And that is why we should too. <laughs> 